0: This place is under new management by order of the Peaky Blinders. Welcome into our spoiler-free podcast, breaking down every single episode of the 1920s family gang drama on Netflix and BBC. I'm your host Daniel Gilman,
1: and I'm Josh Levy. This is episode four of season two. A lot's going on this episode. We got some great FaceTime with Alfie. Some of, some of our favorite Alfie lines. Ready to uh, break down what's about to happen.
0: Yeah, Michael's turned eighteen. Tommy's back to his old uh, loving ways, and uh, and Grace, we get one one second of a Grace sighting. And before we dive in, you guys know the drill. Like us on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash Peaky Podcast. On Twitter, at by order of Peaky. And as always, subscribe, follow, and send us your feedback, email or social media. B o o t Peaky Blinders at gmail.com. Now, the description for this episode kind of lays it out in the broadest of terms, Josh. The Peaky Blinders take over London's Eden Club as Sabini convinces his old adversary to join forces and eradicate the gang. That's where the opening line came from. Probably the most iconic line in this entire series, Peaky Blinders, where Arthur grabs the microphone after stabbing Mario and just yells. And this, and
1: that very arthur scene of grabbing the microphone is like in so many memes and 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 gifs like where he's grabbing the microphone when you like convince me to watch the show that's the gif you sent me and that was the scene right there of him just grabbing the microphone saying the phrase by the peaky blinders that we that we all know and love that was a crazy scene
0: yeah that's i mean that's that's the the, the image that we use for our cover photo because that's the line that is our title. You know, that's, that's our podcast title. And right off the bat in this episode, wild shit. I I mean, I'll I'll tell you right now, I was turned around. I didn't, I didn't understand maybe at, at first. And, and then once you learn that Campbell was actually working with that Irish woman who ordered Tommy to kill that blacksmith earlier in the season, Irene O'Donnell, and of course her trusty sidekick, Donald the dick, it's like the pro treaty Republicans of Ireland have now decided to join forces with the King. And Campbell is in there mediating the, the argument and the conversation. and Tommy's the chosen one once again. Donald Henry the ass hat, literally the ass hat of the show. Such a
1: Donald the dick, I actually really like that a lot. It's honestly crazy because then it like it's, it's parts of the of the plot line like this that makes the show so complex that you know it's just on another level of writing because there's just so much going on. Talk about different plot webs. Now we're now we're dealing with pro treaty patties and 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 the IRA and it's the inspectors with the IRA and one thing I really noticed in this episode as well is I just like thought to myself it's crazy how many like face to face meetings Campbell and Tommy have with each other and they both want each other to just die like a terrible death it's it's just insane that they're both just like sometimes you forget about it and then you're like whoa these two they they actually hate each other and they're just talking to each other.
0: Yeah, that's like the 20th century, 21st century moving because in the 17th and 16th and 15th century, these heads did not meet because they would just kill each other. I mean, they, they, that's it's that simple. And now you've got this chivalry, you've got, you know, these these unwritten rules. And I was I was shooken when Tommy said that he would not carry out this murder of this important person, and they had me, and then Tommy comes outside just to reveal that Donald is a spy, and Tommy's only gonna kill this field marshal. If they get rid of Donald or however you pronounce his name. And I, this lines up this whole thing where like this meeting at the end, that meeting at the end between Tommy and Campbell, where Tommy lays it out, where he kind of feels mortal for the first time ever, maybe because he's, he's laying his affairs in order. He's got a, a trust set, set up for his, uh, his, what is that? His nephews and, and nieces and Carl and John's kids.
1: He's dropping the dick on inspector Campbell per usual. I, I I love uh, when Inspector Campbell was like, you have my word, you know that. And he's like, which I find to be worthless. I was just like, yeah, obviously, Inspector Campbell, your word means nothing. And then this is another classic Tommy and Inspector Campbell scene is when they're going back and forth, scoffing at each other. And he laughs at Tommy. He's like, making your peace with God, perhaps. And just, it is just a great scene, classic scene at the end.
0: Yeah, we're finally starting to see uh, terms dictated by people other than Tommy because he doesn't really have a choice here. He's got to do this this murder, this assassination, and it doesn't look like it's going to be easy because, what, 23 seconds is all it took for that cop to come out and talk to him. And now he knows what Tommy looks like, and Tommy's really worried about it, obviously thinking that he might die scouting out that field marshal's house. And it's clear that that's going to be... You know, one of our one of our major question marks here towards the end of this season, and another one is Grace, because we see Grace is in London. I don't know what she's doing in London, but her and her husband are at that Piccadilly hotel, and I think Grace knew that it was Tommy on the phone who hung up.
1: Of course, and it was a it was a curveball thrown in, into the show. Always thought if Grace was going to come back, if like maybe she was going to make an appearance, or she I didn't think she was going to come into the fold. But boom, there she is.
0: She's there, and the husband is definitely onto her. Tommy's never going to get over her, but for the time being, I think he's got a good one in May Carlton. And we talked about it in the last episode, Charlotte Riley coming into this season almost exactly at the same time as her husband, Tom Hardy, who's Alfie Solomons, who steals the show in this episode. But I did look back, and Charlotte was in that show, The Take. You ever see The Take with Tom Hardy? I've never seen it. Was that on... It, what channel is that on? It's. I think it's on Amazon Prime now. It's, it's a British miniseries where Tom Hardy comes out of jail and he is just – I mean it is hard to understand for Americans. I'm sure you Brits out there love it. But it's a good little it's a good little mini series. I think it's based off of a book or a, of a former show, something like that. Where he Tom Hardy's just a uh,
1: I'm sure he crushes it.
0: Yeah, he doesn't give a fuck. He's just one of those guys that goes around out of prison and just fucks everyone and and tries to set up you know different schemes. But May is the horse trainer. We've got we've got two different locations for May in this episode with Tommy. We've got her in the spa and tea rooms in the garrison, as uh as Charlie likes to say, and then you know meeting the horse and you know, remarking about Curly and Tommy giving her that glass of gin that is just a massive glass of gin. And May's like, Where, yeah. where's my where's my chaser?
1: She she looks so petrified when he was pouring that gin. And yeah, it was like he filled it to the top. I was just like, wow, I'm, I'm actually to, to be honest, I'm a big GNT guy myself. Are you a gin and cordial fan? I'm a gin and tonic fan, but I'm sure gin and cordial is fabulous if May likes it. But she was petrified. Like, you saw her face. She was like, my goodness.
0: That's the only chaser that sits in the garrison. That just shows how hard-nosed these Birmingham people are. They don't drink chasers. Just, that concept is crazy.
1: They're, it's just, like,
0: insane how much they
1: drink during the day and, like, while they're doing business. And I thought about it when I was watching this episode because at the end, when May pours, like, Tommy a glass of, like, of Irish, it's like, it's like mid-afternoon like during the week he's like on business and just like imagine if, if things were conducted that way now like if like how little things would get done
0: and I remember I was in Denmark on vacation and they're talking about how they were just drunk the whole time during one of their wars and it's that kind of thing where it's like back in the day you just drink so much because beer might be cleaner and healthier for you than the water that's located in the like could you imagine the Birmingham water there's no way that water supply is is good no no shot no shot no shot there's no chance and then tommy asks may if she wants to fuck him because he represents something just straight up blunt as fuck Boom. tommy shelby and then we end the episode with them having sex out of
1: nowhere they got it on man they they did and you can see this coming from a mile away to be honest but it was great it was great i mean it just like the you could tell that they're very attracted to each other they're very into each other and that scene where tommy's at, at May's and they're going back and forth on how he's going to get lost. You know, he's he's going to need a map to find her room. And she was like, oh, like when the Maids are in the house, they they uh, pay attention more. They, they, they're always switching and changing. And he's like, let them listen. And boom, you knew right from there.
0: I can promise you that May's estate has very nice water because when Tom comes in, you're thinking that he's going to show up at this like royal palace and you realize that it's just where May lives. And I, I also want to note that While they're sitting in the garrison, Tommy decides to name his horse Grace's secret. So now we head over to wherever May is, 60 miles off of the Birmingham Road, and that scene, Josh, is the best scene of the episode for me. It's so perfectly shot. It's so perfectly acted. The awkwardness is so real. You know what I mean? Even though it's 1920, in 2019, if you're sitting on the couch with a girl that you like or a guy that you like, and you guys are kind of like you're sitting there there's a lot of awkward they didn't they didn't cut any of the awkward silence they left it all out there Meg is adorable the flirtation is perfect and then Tommy's golden line about the engine oil I'm going to start using that I'm going to be like hey You know, if, if, if you, if you travel 60 miles to meet a girl in a mansion, you got to pull out the mansion line and then the map line too, with the, do you have any oil? And then do you have a map? So I could find my way to your quarters.
1: Just, yeah, just look, look, whenever you're hanging out with the girl at her like apartment, be like, I'm going to need a map. I'm going to need a (laughs) map. Yeah. But it was, it was funny as hell. It was for sure awkward. And, but it was like so smooth and suave at the same time. Like he had no problem dropping those lines with full and utter confidence but something that, like, some just some like uh, very good pro- from a from a production standpoint element of this scene was there was like little music in the background that you could barely hear, faint like a faint sound. It just added that effect. Just something that like when you watch on the second time, you really, really just pay attention to, and it really adds to that scene. But yeah, I'm 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 happy for this for this little union. Let's see if. Uh if, if grace is going to get in the way,
0: I, I can tell you right now that the music was awesome. And then once they started to have the sex scene, PJ Harvey comes in and whenever we love, we're, we're a PJ Harvey podcast, big, big
1: PJ, Harvey. PJ, podcast. if you're
0: listening, um, come on anytime, send us a, an email or uh, slide into our DMS. We would love to have you on, but she comes on. It's mixed with the burning down of that pub because of Michael and Isaiah getting a little, uh, little fight on. I think that might be Michael's first fight ever. When him, when him and the son of the preacher, uh, go into Ugh, that uh,
1: the scene, man, what is it, the
0: Mar Marquise of Lorne? What a weird French name for a pub. Uh, the Mar- the
1: Marquis of Lorne.
0: So then, yeah. we, we could take some time now and and talk about Michael because he wants to be the new accountant. He kind of diverges that he was the top of his class in math and did a night school in accounting. And we get that scene with Tommy and Polly, where Tommy's saying, "Well, I've got another option. He's really good." But he doesn't have another option. It's just reverse psychology, and Polly negotiates like Drew Rosenhaus, who's one of our top agents in America.
1: Yeah, uh, she's 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 so tough to crack, and Tommy's just dropping his sharpest lines on her. But she, and she assures Tommy, she's like, I love him, Tom, and he and she just doesn't want him to get involved with it. And that he says, I know. That's why I'll put him in charge of the new business, away from the old. And that's like a very key line, which is gonna be a theme that's gonna be reoccurring probably because a lot's just gone on and he really wants to become more legal. That theme of becoming more legal and legitimate. So
0: Yep, and that new business kinda gets touched on with Tommy cheersing to this bottle of whiskey with, you know, Arthur and John and Polly saying that they're gonna officially send five hundred bottles to Nova Scotia, Canada who is in Prohibition with America right now. So that's something, first time we've even touched on North America, I think. And so they're going to hide it in those Riley car parts, which is the same type of car that May pulled up in when she wanted to talk to Esme, which has one of my favorite quotes we'll talk about later. And I love that Johnny Dogs is like, Tommy, we haven't had a a marriage in a long time. You don't have a woman. I've got a cousin. She's, She's okay looking. You could set her up with. And Tommy just responds with, you can take one bottle but if you take two it turns into a tax.
1: Yeah, I loved. Yes, that was great. He's like he's like we don't he's like you can take one. But if you take two it's 23. And he, and he's like we don't pay tax and just walks away. Just boom, boom boom boom. Love that.
0: So now what do you think of Michael as this accountant? You know, we see him turn 18. He gets this watch from Tommy and Tommy tells him at that moment at the birthday party, if you want to call it that in the Garrison, that you know, you've got the job and michael's so excited I, I i like him as an accountant but i feel like he's too smart for it you know what i mean he's going
1: to be great at doing that it's going to be very organized and he's going to he's going to get his job done but i think i don't know it's it's i wonder if he's ecstatic that that's his role or if he's you know really wants more if he really wants to get more in on the action but he doesn't know it he doesn't know it yet he only saw that one little glimpse at the uh, horse auction
0: I don't think he wants to get in on the action because we see how good-hearted he is at the end because he's kind of saying, "Well, no, no, don't don't burn down the pub just because of me." Yeah, and John and Arthur are like, "We didn't do it for you. We did it to keep the good name." The good name of the company. Uh, of, of of the company. Right. And and, and Jordan Bolger, who is the uh, actor who plays Isaiah, I love him. He's like Fuck that. We're peaky boys. Two whiskeys, please. Yeah, yeah.
1: He's a badass. He's a badass. I, I really like that actor.
0: And then he tells him that he punches like a fucking kangaroo. I saw one in a circus once.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was great. That was great. I I don't know why Arthur and John had to burn down the pub. All they needed to do was reprimand the guy, like the perpetrator, who was saying racist remarks and started the fight. You, I mean... It was just painful. I was just like, the bartender didn't deserve it to have his pub burned down. His life's just ruined now.
0: Yeah, we've gone a couple episodes without really going into how savage these guys are. And we had it a lot in the first season. But now in this season, we really see that at the end of the day, Arthur and John are bad men. You know, Tommy talks about it, but they are bad men. And they're going to do anything to make sure that they don't want anyone, Josh, to be in another pub talking about, oh man, like the Peaky Boys got their ass kicked and nothing happened but the bartender didn't stop it until it was a little late and he knew that they were peaky boys i think it
1: just like i i i understand that and it's to, it's to send a message but there are times where like we see arthur and john have like a moral code and they they want to act right throughout the show and they and they're, they're not really about like you know being bad people like they're not they don't they don't like being bad people and now they're being bad people and going against some of the progress that they've been making throughout the show, if, if you get what I'm saying. It's honestly really frustrating because I know that, that they're good people and that they you know, want to do the right thing, and then they do this out of you know, impulse and to send a message, and it's just kind of going back on their word, and it's just frustrating, honestly, from a character development standpoint. So I don't know, because Tommy has a moral code, man. He does.
0: I just think at the end of the day, these guys are bad men, and we see it in perfect form. When they're at the Eden Club, and we get this awesome entry v- vision of these flappers dancing around in London, something we loved in the beginning of the season, that pussy-ass manager Mario getting run down by Arthur.
1: The Roaring Twenties, honestly. It just reminds you of the Roaring Twenties.
0: That's what that's where they're at. And then Arthur's obviously famous line. And so what that's going to do is that's going to ignite the vision that these guys are savages, that these gypsies are bad people, and then we can cue in the Sabini- with a white flag and his crew walking in to break bread with Alfie Solomons. And Solomons steals the show here. He wants his bookies to be at Epson. He wants all of these these negotiations to go his way. He obviously doesn't feel respected by this guy Sabini. But the whole time, it's like Alfie is looking at it like, fuck, man, this is awful. But you got to realize that's the same race that Tommy wants to take over at Epson. So I think Alfie's starting to realize, man, I think this Tommy Shelby guy might be trying to take over everything and the first thing, you know, you can, I want your, your, uh, all of your impersonations here, Josh. But the first one is like right away. It's like Sabini's like, do you know, did you know beforehand? Cause the person who knows beforehand that he was going to take the eating club is the one who really knows. And Alfie's like, I know what I know. And if you don't know, then you fucking know. Do you?
1: He he does such a good job of saying absolutely nothing. <laughs>
0: like he's a, he's a politician.
1: It, it's, it's, it's wild. This is, this is pure Tom Hardy. And I don't know the actor for Sabini, but this is a classic scene where they're just going back and forth. And Tom Hardy, I mean, uh, Tom Hardy, Alfie doesn't like what's going on with the Jew jokes, and he's like, "You've been called by people, Jerry, fuck the Jews." And then Sabini's just like, "When did you not be able to take a fucking joke?" It's just, it's, it's so funny. It's like, and it's so authentic. It's very authentic the way that they make this scene, and. He apologizes eventually. And he's like he's like, Yeah, you sorry, you sorry. He's like, Yeah, yeah.
0: Josh, I am very disappointed in you right now, by the way. Why? His name is Noah Taylor, okay? Oh man. Are you ready to have your mind blown? First of all, he was an almost famous, so I kind of remember he was the he was that asshole. He older looks man. familiar. I just don't know the Do answer. you know who he is? Are you ready for it? Yeah, I'm ready. He is Locke in Game of Thrones. Who? Locke is the guy who cut off Jamie's hand. Spoiler alert.
1: Oh my god, you're right. Oh my god, how did I not remember that? Come Holy on, man. Um,
0: Alright, yeah, I'm going to take a timeout. Oh, damn. Josh damn. took a big L, guys. Okay, damn. so yeah, we talk about that scene, and before we get some awesome impersonations, Josh going to have to recompose himself for a minute. Just a second, I want to make a random aside here. Just before I forget... Those glass containers that hold the whiskey, I know there's a fancy name for it. I love those. We see Tommy with it at the end pouring whiskey, and we see May at her fancy mansion pouring whiskey, and Tommy always asks for Irish, by the way. It's interesting, because Scotch is like the British one, and Irish is obviously the Ireland one. So it's interesting that Tommy always asks for the Irish whiskey, but it's just the ultimate fuck you, I'm rich flex. It's kind of like brushing your teeth and peeing that the old white men always do. It's like having that big, gorgeous... There's got to be a name for it, and I'm sure, peaky heads, help us out here. I'm sure there's a name for it. And now, now we can get back to our uh, scheduled programming. As as I'm Josh back, is going, Josh back. is going to deliver you some fantastic lines here between Sabini and Alfie. He's
1: like, "Why did you lose your sense of fucking humor? When is it a joke?" And he's like, "Yeah, really a joke, It's huh? really a joke." And then he's like, "He's like, I'm sorry." And he's like, "He's like, yeah, you sorry." He's like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> like, right, yeah, you sorry. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's never, just... never looks in his eyes though. He's always Sabini's always
1: looking away. Yeah, he's like he's looking aside, and then when it's, they really start to actually talk business, you know, they they get the formalities aside, and Sabini's like saying how the pinky fucking blondes are a wild, and Alfie's like perfect. This is one of his best best lines. He goes. They go down the canal. it spread like the fucking clap.
0: Yep. yep. Best line. <laughs> show. That might be the best line of the whole episode. So
1: great. So great. He, I don't think he's ever said something like straight. Like, like there's always just like a joke or a zinger. He's never like said like, this is what I'm doing. This is what you're doing. This is what we're talking about. You have to like, there's like, there's Alfie code. There really is Alfie code. Like it's another language and vernacular,
0: but just a classic scene. And at the end, we all know what happens. And I do like Alfie kind of like, it's like, so what, what you're saying is we're working out like a, like a deal, right? Like, like a deal. Like we're going to write some things down and we're going to, and then, which is, I don't know if it was, it was probably intended to be comical, but the write it down scene. It's like, just write it it down. Yeah. Write it down. Write it down. (laughs) And
1: then, yeah. And then at the end when they're discussing about which road to go down after they, he's like write down Camden Road, write down Farrington Road, right write down Camden Road, Farrington Road, Road. And he's like, write down peace between the Jews and the Italians. And then Sabini goes, and war with the gypsies. And then you know that they're going against Tommy, and they're this is not good news for Tommy. as They're going behind his back. We knew Sabini was, was not happy with Tommy, but... The C. Alfie turn was kind of heartbreaking.
0: His face, though, it doesn't look like he's all the way in. I think he's he's a politician, so I feel like he's going to play both sides. But as we talk about with Sabini doing war, we got to remember that the scene kind of opens. This episode does open with the Harold Hancock, which is the name of our Digbeth kid, his funeral. And we see the second episode in a row, the Shelbys dealing with their consequences. First, Arthur has the woman come in and try to shoot him, and now Tommy gets pretty much like thrashed, by the mom of our Digbeth kid, the one who was slashed last episode, the wannabe, uh, you know, soldier boy, the the Western cowboy. And what I what I do want to say is two two big things here. Just something that I noticed and is important to note. Tommy got his cheek cut by this woman. Okay, because I've been looking, I've been rewatching, and I'm like, when did he get his cheek cut? This is going to be a scar on his left cheek or right cheek? Left cheek for like ever he's gonna have the scar from random this tiny cut and i love that little notion that little addition from cole mccarthy from steven knight whoever just said hey let's have tommy have his cheek cut and then keep the scar and also he wrote he wore a real tie for the first time ever in we this were episode very upset about this. i don't like that i like his i like his little like i don't know his no tie look you know what i mean it's a sign of the times man no, tommy just doesn't like ties he's dapper bro he's dapper also uh, a little extra note here as we kind of Head towards quotes. Ada's got a roommate. His name is James. He's a writer and he's, he's gay. gay. He's yep. gay.
1: And that was that was, was. Tommy was like, "Whoa, okay." He didn't really care.
0: Yeah, Ada's like, "Before you start sizing him up for a wedding game suit." <laughs> yeah, it was funny. <laughs> he's was, not interested in me.
1: I I kind I kind of saw that coming, but it was it was funny. But t- but to be honest, before we before we move on to quotes and winners and losers. Going back to what you were just talking about with the mother coming in and slapping Tommy and in conglomeration with, with Arthur and the, the woman who the, the, the mother of the kid that he killed the boxer kind of goes to my point about the moral code and and those scenes, you see that they're, they're feeling grief. Like they're not happy with their actions. So like, and then all of a sudden Arthur kind of just goes back an episode later and starts, burns down a pub. It's, you know, it's just, it's, it's sad to see, but Tommy was shook. He was legitimately shook. So I I thought that was a, that was a very well done scene by Killian Murphy to show how he actually was grieving with the woman and felt bad for the woman for what happened, because he did feel really bad because that was tragic, man.
0: And so as we, as we go into our favorite quotes, I did like one from, from Ada, because Tommy's like, you're really sleeping late. And then he's like, where is Carl? And Ada's like, Shut the fuck up! Mind your own business. I'm a little worried about Ada as a mother here because where the hell is Carl, man? She's lounging around. I don't know. She's probably in her twenties, right? You know, early twenties, and she's just kind of like she's depressed because she doesn't have. She needs a man. Ada needs a man badly, and uh, she does someone who does have a man. And and kind of stole maybe my favorite line aside from you know the Alfie one about going down the canal is when Esme is talking to uh may about the degenerates outside and she's like if i open the door again they'll all want to come in like flies and as a sports gambler i'm sure you can you can uh, associate to uh to these guys outside that just want to get in and make their bets they just
1: pooped those guys man just you know
0: they were closed <laughs> and then and then may says when i entered small heath i thought i was going to be murdered and then i mentioned your name and it was like being escorted to see a king which is a bit of a callback to that reporter in the first season who says very similar things.
1: Definitely, and Tommy Shelby's got clout. He's got clout for sure. You're with Tommy Shelby, no one's messing with you, and she's going to learn that. I mean, it kind of like goes back to the, to the quote last episode where he's like, but you already knew that. You know I do bad things. Every, like She already knew him, and she knew that she was going to be able to come
0: and be with Tommy Shelby. And she's, she's, she's with the king, the king of Birmingham. One other one that I thought was fantastic – was the very beginning when Tommy's being ordered by Irene O'Donnell and the Campbell and Donald the dick to do all these killings. And Tommy says, why? And Irene says, did you ask why in France? And Tommy said, yeah. <laughs> and then it was the same answer, because. Right, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Because. Because. It's funny. The, uh, the end, when Tommy's talking about his affairs, and he tells him, I've been making arrangements with the people I trust. If I die, then you will die. Know that, and you finally get the sense that there's gonna be it, it, it. foreshadows there's there's gonna be a war. There's gonna be something going on between these two. You know they're they're kind of like you know, on idle with each other in terms of you know fighting each other. But Tommy tells him, if anything happens, something's happening to you. And it it, it made me think after the, after listening to this quote, how far the vendetta of the inspector towards Tommy has come. Like this is purely just to just to seek out Tommy. He has no you know, business being what doing and being where he is. He's doing it solely just to F Tommy. It's just wild to see that he's taken it this
0: far. And lastly, he talks about Michael and wanting to uh, get legal. They talk about being 80% legal within three years. And then Michael's pitch here, which we later learned that he actually gave his mother an ultimatum. He said, Polly, if I don't get this job, I'm going to London. But Michael says to Tommy, when respectable men see the other things you do, they leave. But like Lizzie out there, I already know what you do. And I like that. He's basically saying, hey, I know what you do, and I'm okay with it. And so I want to be your accountant, and boom, he's the accountant. And I think he's in a short list for winners this episode. Do you have a – you got Michael in consideration?
1: Michael's been on fire the last few episodes. So he's definitely in the running. He's definitely in the running. All right, so who's your winner? So my winner of this episode is going to be Tommy Shelby. It's a cop-out. It's a cop-out. But I think Tommy's really, you know, has his mindset on, on, on everything. He's, his confidence is, is exuding right now. He's he's feeling good against against the inspector. You know, he's he's feeling good with 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 all of his affairs. He has his accountant, his business is tidying up. Um, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with Tommy Shelby and he's and he got it on with May, man. He got it on with May. And what a stud, man. Dropping lines. He has the best game. So, and we saw that on full
0: display on on this episode. So, I'm going to go with Tommy Shelby as my winner. Okay, I've got I've got Alfie as as a close second because he does get everything he wants here. Because the whole reason that he brought Tommy into the fold was to win the war, and now it seems like he's getting a compromise, but Arthur is my winner. Ooh. Because do you remember do you remember in The Pilot, the first episode of the first season, when Arthur tried to have a threesome in the movie theater? I do. Yes, yes, yes. And it got interrupted because the new Irish coppers came in and pulled him away. And he's yelling, do you know who I am? I'm Arthur Shelby. Well, he finally gets it after having his fuck you moment taking over the Eden Club bathtub style. He has his threesome. And then later...
1: It's a savage winner.
0: It's a savage winner. He kills it when you think about it. And then later he has this like, this epic scene where he's snorting coke or tokyo and tommy comes in and he's Walks banging right this through. girl Walks yeah, right <laughs> through. no but i love the scene where arthur is doggying this girl and then pulls a gun and turns around while he's still having sex and then talks about how he wants to l- marry this woman he does get a little bit of a of a uh, reprimanding from tommy because I-, I couldn't tell is arthur selling coke or buying coke under the guy's of uh, olives, I think he's selling coke. I think he's, I think he's, I think he's selling. And then he's passing it as selling olives, right? And then at the very, at the very end, Arthur tells Finn, starts talking to Finn about his women, and then realizes halfway through, he's like, "Fuck, I'm talking to like a twelve year old," so he stops. And then, uh, and he's like, "Never mind, Finn, I can't talk to you about these women." And then he goes and burns down the pub. This is an ultimate Arthur episode for me.
1: That's a savage one. He's done a lot of savage ass shit, but he's, yeah. That's a good one, and honestly, that that scene you were talking about when with, with Tommy gives him a little reprimanding and threatens him that he'll give up London if to, to, to John if he doesn't really you know get his shit straight. And one of my favorite quotes was "Straighten up, soldier," and it was just him putting putting him in place and kind of that war you know flashback of of a phrase. Who do you guys? Who do you guys? A loser?
0: I've got Donald the Dick, the spy. The asshole, every time he talks, everyone wants to punch him. And his one line in the beginning I mean, the, the actor does a fantastic job of portraying this totally unlikable dude. But when he goes, he's like, You don't have a choice. No means bang. When he's talking to Tommy in the very beginning with uh, Irene O'Donnell, the actor's name is Rory Keenan. And he, I mean, he does a good job i uh, of being a dick. Yeah. I, I hate sure. him. And, uh, and I want him to die. And I have a feeling he's going to die soon.
1: Definitely. He's
0: he's an asshat. F that guy. F that guy. I I, I hated him. I do want to say that it was an empty threat now that you think about it. Because Tommy's threatening that he's going to send John to London... But you know, Esme's not going to London. Remember, Esme, how anti-London she was.
1: Yeah, she's she's she was not she was not for it. Like she has any say, to be honest. And
0: John is whipped as shit. Remember when they're walking out of the pub in the in the opening part of yeah, the London yeah, I do, London I do, scene? I do. Yeah. They're making fun of her for being whipped. So that's that's an empty threat. Go ahead, hit me your loser.
1: My loser of this episode is Inspector Campbell, because he didn't get an empty threat. He got a threat from Tommy Shelby, and it's you know, if I die, you die. It's, the inspector is way too in deep, over his head, and like I told you, I just finally realized that, realized that this episode, and I feel like the inspector realized that after Tommy dropped that line. Sam Neill does a tremendous job of like showing like the like he was shook, he was thrown back. So I th- I feel like he's fearing Tommy at this point. He's kind of fearing you know the the point of where this all has gotten. So my loser is Inspector Campbell, such a d bag.
0: And he started the episode on such a high horse because. Yeah, he was so confident. He thought he was really going to... He thought he had Tommy. And I think he did. Tommy was pretty shook, Like, I say shook a lot. Tommy was was beside himself when he learned that the inspector was like, you're working with him. You're working with her. How can you do this? All this stuff in the beginning. And so I think, to be honest, that that's a small nit to pick because we don't usually see Tommy um, losing in a battle of chess. And I don't know if Killian Murphy did the best job portraying what Tommy would look like if he was confused because to me it feels like Tommy would be a little bit more quiet trying to process everything trying to you know combat that chess move with another chess move and instead killing Murphy decides to be vocal and accusatory so you know if I had to pick a knit that would be another one and then Arthur is getting really good Josh at like not killing people but almost killing people because he did it yeah he just
1: he just breaks the glass, stabs the dude in the in the face with the broken with the broken bottle like 20 times and
0: 20 times How does he not bleed out How does he not same bleed with out? the white hand man of Sabini? He looks fine. I mean he's got like a bloody eye or something like that in the meeting with with Alfie, but he got pummeled by Arthur in the horse auction so those are those are my nits. do you have any uh, any final comments here any nits to pick? anything else to remember or- I mean
1: I think it's pretty obvious the nit that I had to pick it was you know the burning down of the pub. I mean, I, I I know the purpose of why, you know, Stephen Knight included that and why he added that plot line, but just I'm just very frustrated. It was very it was very Daenerys Targaryen burning down King's Landing without without any you know purpose and reason to do so. It was it was kind of like that that feeling. So that was my nit to pick. But other than that, a great episode. Setting up the penultimate episodes of five and six, which we will break down very soon for you guys.
0: Oh my God, the penultimate is coming up. Oh shit. Keep an eye out for that season two, episode five recap and episode six and our season two review, which will all be coming for you guys soon. You don't have to continually check on Facebook, on social media, because all you have to do is just click subscribe, click follow wherever you're listening to us, or you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash peaky podcast or on Twitter at By Order of Peaky. Once again, we love the feedback, so keep it coming on social media or on email at B-O-O-T. By order of the C-B-O-O-T, peaky blinders at gmail.com. Wrapping up, he's Josh, I'm Daniel, and we binge, so you don't have to.